Hi, I'm Lisa Lloyd, and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. As a psychologist, psychotherapist, and business owner of It's Time for Change, I meet so many talented individuals who are aligned with my mantra, get people right, get business right. I'm going to be talking to some of these super interesting people who have stories, insights, and strategies to share about what it takes to be a great company with inspiring leadership, awesome culture, and a wow workforce. So let's dive in. Hi, I'm pleased to welcome Mike Quinnell, uh, Commercial Manager at Fugro. Hi, Mike. Hi, Lisa. Um, so I've known you for a few years um, in a kind of number of different capacities, and I'm always really impressed by your motivation, your determination to be your best and also to get the best for the people around you in your team at work. Um, and you're, you've always been motivated about helping people thrive and just being successful and your connection with uh, the emotional side of people and wanting people to be happy so that they can perform well has always really inspired me. So I thought, what better person to have on my podcast other than you to um, to share really your experience. And I know recently you have had the very exciting challenge of setting up your new team. And in terms of going about that, I thought it'd be really useful today to explore what the challenges have been and how you're starting from scratch. Because for you at the center of all of it is about employee experience. And because you're starting from the word go, I thought it'd be really great to explore what's getting in the way, what you're focusing on, what you're not sure about, what have been the surprises um, and everything else along the way. So I wanted to welcome you and firstly to find out a bit more about you and your role at Fugro. Okay, well, thanks for the, the opening there, Lisa. That, that's, that's really good and it's certainly a, a great, um, a great honour to be on, on this podcast talking about this subject. As you say, this is something I'm very passionate about. Um, yeah, so just a bit about, about me at Fugro um, and my role. So, yes, commercial manager at, at Fugro. I've been with Fugro um, uh, too long, 23, 24 years, very long time now. But uh, it's a big company, it's international, and I've worked in various offices and many different positions um, overseas as well as in the UK. So feels like I've been in different companies across uh, across the years. So as you say there, my, my present role, um, commercial manager, I'm heading up a team of around 15 staff um, spread around Europe and uh, undertaking tendering, business development um, and all the client contacts. Um, and as you say, it was a new team um, created just four months ago and it was a merger of, of small teams from from multiple departments so indeed plenty of challenges um plenty of challenges that i love plenty of challenges that uh, sounded very daunting at the start and of course you know i was very nervous about as well so but at the heart of all of it were the people it was the merging of of the people to one team for the uh, for the greater good for the business the greater good of the the output of the work for the success for the business and to me the success for the business comes from uh, the staff being successful in their roles uh, which is the individuals um, firing on all cylinders performing the way that they want to perform 
um, to the best of their abilities. And uh, mm. that to me is, has always been has always been key. Um, and, and I say always, um, not over all the years, in the sense of it's something I've, I've learned um, more recently and certainly something I wasn't aware of before. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it's something I've come across and really appreciated more recently. So, um, yeah, as you say, this is what matters. And I think that's a really important point, actually, because, um, you know, the fact that you've come across this and it's something that now really drives you, but even so, it's still quite daunting. And I think that's the reality for a lot of people right now. So I was at, I was at an event last night talking to a number of people who in their companies are looking, exploring different aspects of employee experience. And they were talking about the fact that actually starting from scratch is daunting. It's a massive undertaking. Where do you start? And uh, particularly if you've got people who are not necessarily on board, and some, you know, there's some conversation around, you know, is this something that, you know, people just get this or they just don't get it at all. Whereas actually you're highlighting the fact that this didn't used to be such an important part of your agenda, but you've learned more about it. And now you realize that this is really important. And I'd say you're uh, someone who doesn't just value this, you put it at the core of everything you do. What helped you transition from being in a place where you didn't kind of think about this stuff so much to it actually being so central to your practice? I, th I think that I think with all these things there are multiple points as you go along that where you're picking up information and over time as you consolidate all these random bits of information you realize that these dots all join up there is a common picture here and then you suddenly get it and for me it came from many things. It came from reading. I remember reading a 90-minute MBA book, um, and it was talking about reasons reasons people leave their job and head to another company. And I'd always thought it's all about pay. It always is. And, of course, it's not. It's about relationships. It's about how happy and comfortable somebody is in themselves, in their position, in their company. And uh, how much do they like their boss? How much do they feel valued by their boss? How much do they like their colleagues? How much do the colleagues like them? And salary is down at third or fourth. Um, multiple surveys show this. And this, this was really just wow and new to me. I went on a senior management training program that Fugro had arranged. And the chap was banging on about all you leaders here should be spending at least 25% of your time on staff. You know, and that's proper time with your staff. And I sat there and I thought, really, really? Is that right? And as I started to get these snippets of information and then realized that when I did myself invest more of my time in certain staff members and they excelled, really it was all coming together. And I then saw this picture and I, I could really see what it all meant. Mm -hmm. So I, I sort of learned it through various channels, mm -hmm. really. Um, and, and a boss who, let's face it, a boss my boss for many, many years, who was a major people person as well, and he really cared. So it's that classic thing of leadership following by example, yeah. uh, leading by example and, and following behind. Mm. So that, that was key, really, multiple points. So I guess what would be really helpful to unpick a little bit is what your understanding is about 
employee experience because we're kind of banding this term around but actually when you think about it well it means something slightly different to all of us it's there's no one definition so what does it mean to you mike in terms of your employee experience and, and that you're trying to create within your team hmm. it, it's employee experience is as you say it's it's a new term is being banded around a lot i think what it's got to be viewed as by management is this idea that in the traditional way that the, the directors, the senior managers in the company will have their business strategies, they'll have their business rules, their finances, they will have ambitions for corporate culture, they'll have ambitions for um, equality, diversity and so on in, in the workplace. And it's about actually realising that the success of the company doesn't come from having a cracking strategy or from having X, Y, Z, all these usual tick boxes um, all sorted out. It doesn't come from that. It comes from then connecting all of that with the staff who are actually going to implement all of that. And then making sure that those staff are understanding of the big picture, understanding where they fit in this big picture, and then clear on what their goals are and how they need to perform to satisfy their management, their direct management, and then the higher management. Mm. And understanding that everybody is part, a, a cog in this big machine and everybody's needed to move things forward and it's a big team effort. So employee experience is all about, to me, every one of those cogs needs to know what's going on and where they fit and they need to be spoken to they need to be listened to if a cog starts squeaking well the manager better go and oil it and find out what's going on mm. so th that to me is what it's all about i really like that the whole idea of cogs and it all working together i was discussing it with a client this morning about um she was very aware that she was uh, very overworked and she was taking on more and more work because she was trying to protect her team so there's a big emphasis on let's look out for our teams um, let's look out for each other and because she was more senior in her team when people weren't coping she was taking on and she was struggling to put the boundaries around her because she said if I put if I say no to taking on the excess excess work which means I'm effectively burning out and having a, a terrible time um, it means that my my team are going to suffer and she realized that not only would um, her team suffer but the cog would stop and it would block the whole system and because she's someone who cares and she's someone um, who wants to do her best and doesn't want to let people down, she's conscientious, she said, I can't let that cog stop moving. And I think we realise that there are more and more people in, in the system who are just taking on too much to keep that cog going. And it's about how we, as you say, we, we are listening to those people and hearing that actually the cog is only going because it's, it's taking its toll on that individual or, you know, that cog's only going because if it, if it stops moving in, in such a slick way, it's going to really impact on the, the team or the cog behind it. Um, and I think we have to start looking at that big picture, don't we, about the, the kind of um, commitments that people make to keeping those cogs moving, even if it's taking it's a huge toll on, on themselves. Mm. Yeah, completely. And I, I think there is a limit. Everybody has their limit and we all have a duty to be 
honest to ourselves as to where the limits lie. And there are limits of short-term extra work and there are limits of long-term extra work. And those limits are different. Mm. And everybody needs to realise where their limits lie, what they're comfortable with, and they need to communicate with their managers and with their colleagues to a certain extent as well as to what their workload is, what is what they might find excessive and what the future might be looking like to do with that workload and that pressure. Mm. It's in, in if, if you are somebody who is conscientious, you are going to get and want to get that job done. Mm. And if it involves you working at twice the speed and working late, because you're so jolly conscientious, you're going to make yourself do it. But that is going to come at a price if it goes on for too long and you you will get to the point where you're of no use to anybody mm. and and you you're not looking after yourself so you have a responsibility everybody to to look after themselves and their workload and and yes when there's too much work and times are tough everybody does need to knuckle down a bit and mm. crack on and mm. dig deep at the same time, we must realise this is not a long-term solution and you're not doing anybody any favours by doing that in the long run. And I've, I've, I've been there and I, and I know it. So um, it's very difficult to try to stop. But it starts with a proper open conversation with your manager or if that's the wrong person, then find the right person to speak to. And maybe it's simply a peer. Maybe it's somebody who's a friend outside the company, but those discussions need to happen because otherwise the end, the end result is, is no way you want to be. I think it's a really good point about just finding someone to, to talk to about your experience if your experience doesn't feel right because it's about getting that different perspective, isn't it? And I'm you know, having some conversations with some people yesterday. I was talking to an HR director about something going on in her company and we were, we were just talking about a challenge she's having. And she stopped and kind of paused. And I couldn't work out if she'd kind of glazed over um, because we were at a football match. So I was thinking maybe she's actually just focusing on the, on the football. Um, but she turned around and said, you just asked me some questions which have just made me think differently about the challenge. And it's just getting someone else's perspective. And if we can find other people to speak to and ask them, what would they do? Or what do they think? Or how could I? Or and it's just having people, it's just prompting. It's not about people solving your problems, but it's about people mm. prompting that thought process. And yeah, I could actually try this. And um, I think that's quite, as one of the things I really enjoy about my job is just, I say, I don't have all the answers, but I'll provoke the thinking. I'll ask the questions. Um, and it's amazing what resources you have within a team or within individuals to solve their own problems if they can just think outside the box a little bit. Mm. Indeed, indeed. I think there's so much we put so much pressure on ourselves to to do amazing work. Mm. You know, everybody who's conscientious, everybody who cares about what they do, who cares about a team. Often we put so much pressure on ourselves to deliver, not make mistakes, um, etc. And we have to realise that we 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 are just a cog in a machine, mm. and it's not up to us as an individual do the whole jolly lot it's it's, mm. it's not going to happen and yes i speak as somebody working in a, a big company so yes one little cog in a big machine but even for the small um 
you know, very small organizations. We need to realize that there are limits and be respectful to ourselves and, and our families on, on those limits. And sometimes, dare I say, the whole machine has to slow down a bit. So, mm. you know, there's people often want things to carry on being very slick and very fast and being super productive and, you know, very high performance regardless of what else is going on. But you think about the change with the pandemic and all the, I mean, it's just constant. And people are, have so much else on. They have so much going on in their heads at the moment. I'm talking to so many people who are saying they're just struggling to balance everything and to cope with everything. And I spend some of my time helping people normalize that and say, well, of course, you're gonna be a bit slower because you're not just focusing on your job as you'd normally be doing it, you're also thinking about X, Y, and Z. And mm. as soon as they have that sense of, oh, actually, yeah, of course, I'm not going to be feeling on top form. But then if you magnify that across the company, we need to have that sense of permission that people are not going to be as, you know, maybe doing 100% right now. But that's okay, mm. because as long as everyone's giving enough for us still to get by and to get through a tricky phase, whatever that is, and that's not necessarily just the pandemic, that could be whatever life's throwing at us, but if you give people a bit of slack, then so you can get through, then I think you can then pick, you know, everyone's still together, the machine's still together, it's whole, and you can pick it up and pick up the speed the other side. But I think we put, too, as you say, we put often too much pressure on ourselves. And when we're going through change, you know, I do a lot of work around leading, how you lead change successfully in a company, you have to expect performance to dip. So with change and uncertainty, regardless of what that's about, why that's coming about, performance will dip. So if we know that and we expect it and we give ourselves a break, it takes the pressure off and then it actually ends up being less traumatic. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, indeed. It's, it's, you're, trying, you're pacing yourself and playing the long game. Mm. Completely, yeah. completely agree. Yep. So why for you, I mean, I know you've, you know, you've started out in a position where you weren't so aware of um, employee experience and everything that goes with that and then you that became much more central to your practice why do you think it is so important that we get it right why are you investing so much of your time and your effort into making sure it is as spot on as you can possibly achieve it's to, to me the the success of a company a business however big, however small, and you might measure that and define that success in different ways. It might be profitability, it might be market growth, it might be innovation, increase in market share. Um, however you measure that, the success in most, most companies is going to be dictated by the performance of the people in their different roles. Mm. Yes, the company needs to be structured correctly. Yes, it needs to have a cost base and a revenue which is matching and balanced so that it has the, the basic finances to allow success. But if you don't have a receptionist who's answering the phone to calls coming in in a good way, you're not going to get calls coming through to the tendering team. If the tendering team don't write decent quotes, the project team aren't going to get any projects. And so it's all going together all these people all these departments or people or responsibilities multiple responsibilities on individuals unless these parts are all working correctly 
then you're going to have breaks mm. and cogs aren't matching or whatever's happening is, is, is the chain isn't there. So if you go and say, well, I've got a company, my cost base is healthy, my revenue is healthy, um, and I've got a structure that makes sense. Um, I've got people in the different positions, all the key positions. So it works, doesn't it? Well, yes, it could work in theory. Now, do you want to work, make it work really well? Do you want to optimize this? Do you want to have a feeling, a moral feeling of responsibility to all the people that are here who are coming to work in your company because they've got a mortgage to pay, because they've got a car to run, etc.? Or are you just going to focus on the bottom line and that's all that matters? And, and I think when you look at, well, OK, my goal is to keep the shareholders happy or to um, actually I have a moral obligation towards my staff. What, whatever it is that you define as your success factors or your objectives, actually, it's the staff motivation. It's the well-being of the staff. Um, it's their performance overall which is going to have such a massive impact on this hmm. so all those people could be in the right places if they're all grumbling and the cogs are squeaking you're not going to get a wonderful output but um yeah if you listen to those squeaks find out what's going on make, get rid of the squeaks by making sure all these people are happy and are motivated and are not leaving then actually you're going to get a much better performance and you can sit back thinking, not, not just I've got a better performing company. Actually, I've got people who are happy to be here. And I've got people phoning me up saying they want to come and work here because they've heard that this is a good place to be. And I'm not saying, Lisa, for one minute that I have an optimal team and nobody's ever going to leave it. I mean, I'd like to get to that point, of course, but it's, uh, I'm still learning as I go along as well. Um, but I know that it's possible to get to a point where you have staff who are much more motivated, much more settled, developing in their careers, much happier. And therefore, the, the byproduct for the company is that they're not heading off um, and you've got a high staff turnover all the time. So a long answer <laughs> to your key short question. It's a good it's a good answer. I I like what you said about the the roles of each person so for example the receptionist has got to be doing a good job and you know each, each person has their role to play and i think it's really interesting how quite a number of conversations i've been having recently and, and some work i did at the end of last year around people valuing each other's roles and often um i, I don't know if this is a particularly new issue but i'm hearing about it more and more is that the different teams not particularly getting on well with each other. So within a team, you might have a great relation, set of relationships, but between teams, it's not ideal. And when we looked at a, a piece of work I was doing last year, when we looked at each team who spend a lot of time, you know, it's that typical social psychology and, you know, this is my team and this is my, my tribe and that, that lot out there aren't as good as us. Um, 
when you start to break that down and say, well, actually, that lot out there, what value do they provide? What do they do that enables you to do your role? What is it that's so important? What is their function? What do we like about them? What do we value about them? And when people actually stopped and thought about that question, like, I couldn't do my job if we didn't have the staff in the office. So it's all very well mm. thinking they've got an easy job because they're just sitting at a desk all day, whereas I'm grafting outside doing whatever. Or Actually, if they weren't doing that really important job, um, then my job wouldn't exist. Or if I wasn't doing my job, then that person's job over there wouldn't, be, wouldn't exist or they wouldn't be able to do that so well or so easily. And I think once we start to value each other, and, but we have to know about what each other's roles are, because unless we are able to appreciate the, the role of each other, the value of each other, we just have huge gaps. And then we often, our imaginations tend to fill it with all, all the wrong stuff, like they're just sitting around at home, they're not doing anything, they're working from home, and I have to be in the office working really, really hard. Or, you know, people start to use our imagination and it builds and builds and builds and suddenly um, cause all sorts of issues when actually if people just had better communication and knew a lot more about what each other does and how they're reliant on each other, it breaks down lots of those barriers. Mm. I, I completely agree. And, and I think a lot of this is goes back to communication, mm. communicating that the higher echelons of a company need to be communicating where everybody fits in and where everybody fits in in their roles into the the success of, of what's taking place. And, and as an example, I remember some years ago that we, we went through a phase, I was in a particular office where we had um, two receptionists behind the front desk. And, and then we went through a period where the annual pay rise came up and actually people were getting less than they thought they maybe should be getting. And I remember somebody saying to me, well, we could get rid of one of the receptionists straight away, couldn't we? You know, and then we could pass that round as a saving and a, and a pay rise. And I'm thinking to myself, yes, I don't think you realise why we have a second receptionist. It's because we have so many people going through the door, so many phone, phone calls coming to the main number that actually, if we only had one receptionist, we wouldn't be giving the attention we need to give to the clients that walk in, the clients that phone, the suppliers that appear. We wouldn't be giving the attention that we need to give as the front face of the company on through the front door and on the phones. And when I explained that to the person in a nice way, they actually sat there and said, well, yes, this actually this does seriously matter and it would be bad if we couldn't answer the phone and client x had to leave voicemail messages twice a day uh, yeah i mean that's absolutely not where you want to be so it's this understanding as you say about where each of us fit in in our roles and and that we're we're individual people and we've got to make it work together we've got to break down the us and them and also that poor one receptionist to be left wouldn't last very long. They'd end up burning out with all the work. So you're yeah. in a bigger problem there. So how, Mike, how are you going about setting up your team? Or how are you going about consciously creating the culture that's going to drive really positive employee experience? It's, I think it's multifaceted and it's a, there are so many different parts to it that I, I couldn't put together a list and say, well, these are the top five things I'm doing and 
once I've done all of this, I'm going to have my culture sorted. It, it, you know as well as I know, it, it doesn't work like that. It, the culture is so important, yet actually it takes a long time to get it right. And the culture isn't something whereby myself as a leader of a team must come up with a wonderful ideas for this is the culture I want. And I'll tell everybody, you know, thou must follow Mike's guidelines here and we'll get the culture right. It's got to be a two-way street. It's got to be discussions with people to find out the culture that I, I want and that the company needs has to be defined in, in its basics. So people need to know the common goals. People need to know the, the overall general culture of the company that they want to have. Is, is this a company that cares about volume over quality or the other way around? These basics need to be understood. But then the culture that links in with that, we need to have people that understand what quality is, that care about quality, that are conscientious to go the extra mile to determine and deliver that quality. Or if we're in a fast-paced change of, of technological move then we need people with an open mind to look outside the box, to innovate, um, look at multiple diff from different angles, speak to people outside, speak to people inside, keep these conversations going. We can't then have people who are mouth closed, sitting behind the desk and not really thinking much else about just doing what they're doing. So you need to have the right people, but generally you do because either you recruited them or your predecessor, who was probably quite similar to you because you've appeared alongside them. So these factors are important and you need the feedback from the individuals to find out what's motivating them, what makes them tick. What do they not have in their role that they're wanting that would make them happier in their role? Because they need to be happy. They need to be motivated to support the culture and to feed back in. And years ago, I've, I've been there where I've been head of an office, pushing down requests for this, expectations for that, and not getting the buy-in. And back then, I was too inexperienced to realise that me telling people what to do was not going to end up with them doing it without actually sitting down and having lots of one-on-one -on -one discussions and getting feedback and steering and tuning and tuning. So... The culture is going to come from clarity of objectives and goals overall, high up, um, and then starting to then build the baseline and say, well, this is the baseline of what we must be doing as a, as a company, as a team, and then communicating with people and finding out what makes them tick and then connecting these two in the middle. And to me, it's that connection. So you've got a commonality between what the company wants and what drives the in and motivates the individuals. And when you've got that overlap, you've got that communication and that contact there, then actually we're all grouped together. and We've got a common purpose and common motivation. Then we're moving forward together. And I love the fact that you've kind of pulled that in at the end around common purpose, because, you know, it's about having everyone on in the same on the same page isn't it about going in the same direction and i and i think you know a lot of what you talked about in terms of um about being creative and being able to feedback and you know that communication piece 
really lends itself to well it's that idea of being empowered isn't it Pro real real empowerment so i'm actually empowering my team to do what they need to do by setting the right culture and and but by giving them space to be able to develop and grow and i know that's important to you and that sense of um being able to say what's right what's not right what helps what doesn't um you know and, and being creative being able to think outside the box that empowering people is so important but I think a lot of that has to stem around people feeling psychologically safe. So is that something you consciously have had to think about in terms of how you demonstrate that, how you as a leader, how you're, what you're doing, or how, how are you exploring that? How are you thinking about that with your team? Mm. Yes, definitely. I, I don't think you can expect people to be open about certain um, difficult subjects unless you're going to be open to them about your viewpoint on it or be open in terms of making it very very clear in a discussion that you want to have a discussion about topic x and you really don't mind if somebody's going to come back with some negatives on what's being done or critical comments etc people are naturally going to be a bit nervous a lot of people most people are going to be a bit quiet a bit, and not shy but simply protecting themselves a bit and make sure they're sort of you know saying something that the boss is going to be okay with hearing and so on so the psychological safety definitely is so critical in that it's got to be linked from the from the leader the team leader leading by example you know and and to me it's about for example talking in open meetings saying, talking about workload, talking and opening up about my workload and are, am I hitting limits at the moment? Am I needing to adjust my schedule, my workload, because it's just too much at the moment? And by me saying that to the team, it allows them to feel comfortable to say those sorts of things back again. And it, it's not that the boss doesn't want to hear it, the boss absolutely needs to hear if people are hitting limits, because the last thing you want is for a manager to sit there and say, all my finances look very healthy. I'm making whacking load of profit. And then actually people start leaving because they're overloaded with work. And you think, gee whiz, I actually had enough money in my pocket to recruit extra staff. Had I known that people were being overloaded? Yeah, and there's yeah. a there, isn't there, about people feeling overloaded, fe people feel like having those grumbles about what's going on in their company and not feeling that things are right, yet they haven't communicated where they're up to with the right people. So there's this mm. assumption that, of course, people know I'm overworked and, of course, people know that things aren't right, they're not effective, they're not efficient. But actually, unless we are very clear about saying this is the thing that's blocking me being as as productive as i can be then no one's going to be able to resolve that and i think there are so many assumptions that go on in the workplace that we really need to be very much more explicit about in terms of these are things that are blocking me these are the things that if you could do this one thing to help that would be that would make a, a big difference to me and i think when mm. like you say when you can be authentic yourself that makes all the difference, but and you have and that has to, that takes time, doesn't it? And I know from conversations we've mm. had, you know, you you're very conscious about how you do things, but you have to repeatedly 
do them in the way that you want to do them so that people don't just think it's you know brand new team shiny start but actually we're going to soon see the real mike this is this is the real mike we're seeing, we're seeing him being very authentic yeah completely completely and, and to pick up on your last comment about that communication mm. that communication has to be two-way mm. you know the worst thing is if somebody leaves and then the boss says to a fellow peer oh yes well so-and-so left last week they were completely overloaded but gee whiz i wish they told me before i would have done something wow i mean the failure is with the boss there for not knowing so that communication from the boss to the individual um, is actually so, so critical. And as you say there, the openness to um, the psychological safety of just being able to talk about these topics, these previously very sensitive topics um, openly with the confidence that the boss will listen and will hopefully address it, or at least have a conversation with the person to find ways to, to, to reduce pressures or um, whatever that might need to be. And is there anything else you're doing other than obviously demonstrating and modeling um, by sharing your own experience, by being authentic? Is there anything else you're doing to encourage people to feel safe about being authentic themselves and to feed back and to say, well, actually, Mike, you know, you said the team's going to be like this and I don't, I'm not experiencing that or I was hoping for such and such, but that's not my reality. Because, you know, there are so many studies around that, you know that suggests people are not are still not feeling that they're able to be authentic if i'm if i'm really honest about my difficulties um you know what i'm struggling with i don't know something um whatever it might be it's going to impact negatively in terms of my career growth you know my progression and so on so i think people you know there's some figures are like 25 percent of the workforce will struggle to be authentic because they're worried about the repercussions. If you're in certain roles, that's even higher. So what what are you doing to, other than obviously demonstrating yourself, is there anything else you're doing to encourage people to speak up about what the reality of their experience? I think, I think the only other thing I would say that I'm doing is trying to try to normalize with my team the, the that reality is not the picture perfect world that we'd like it to be we don't all feel 100 percent through every minute and an hour of the day or every week of the month or month of the year it's not programmed like that our bodies aren't programmed like that our lives are complicated in work, out of work. They're complicated. Different people have different complexities of, of those lives. And to me, we have something I work on is normalizing through discussion, normalizing the idea that it's it's okay that things are different. It's okay that you are struggling to hit a deadline. It's okay that client X is really winding you up at the moment. These things are okay. They are normal. Mm. And I, I get these things. There are certain things that I've got challenges with on my plate at the moment, and I'm very reticent to talk to my boss about them, thinking, how am I going to be judged by this? And I've got to look at my boss and try and assess 
well, how, is she going to judge me on this? Or is she an understanding person who will realize and appreciate that actually it's normal that you're going to struggle with X, Y, Z? Or, Mike, I didn't expect you to be a perfect individual who would not struggle with anything in life. Okay, so it's okay to struggle. To me, it's through discussions with people and sharing with them an understanding, a recognition that what they might be going through and experiencing, small or big, is something that actually is normal. Not in the sense of everybody goes through this, but you're not on your own with that. And that doesn't mark you down. And by the way, I've got my own set of problems and hardships as well. And you're not on your own there, you know, in the sense you've got yours. I've got mine. We're still here. We're getting the job done. This is just normal. That to me, that normalization is is key in bringing anxiety levels down in people that they feel more more normal more one as 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 their peers and i and i love that sense of it's almost about being clear about your intention you said earlier on about you know you want your team to be you know a great team and to feel that they have a great experience and feel psychologically safe and so on you're not going to get it perfect and i think your reality of being able to say to your team i really want our team to feel safe and happy and all the things that you talk about and but I'm not going to get it right all the time and you know I'm human and if I don't um if I don't hit the mark sometimes then please forgive me but actually you know what if I'm if I'm not hitting the marks I'm not getting it right because I don't I don't know I'm not getting it right then tell me or if I if I'm not getting it right and there's something really simple that I could do differently please share that with me and it's that sense of inviting that feedback but coming on the back of you being very clear about what your intention is. I want people to feel such and such. And I think when we can communicate that, the intention goes such a long way and then people can forgive mistakes because they understand that you're learning and they understand that when we're learning, we, we make mistakes and we're not, we are not gonna get it right. And at no point are we gonna be perfect anyway. But I think it goes a long way to say, what I'd really like to do over the next month or over the next three months is for to focus on this particular aspect and this is why i think that's really important and this is what i'm hoping we're all going to feel at the end of it and it's not about you know we're all going to be more productive but we're going to feel this particular way we can engage with this um much more and i think then it takes the it almost takes the pressure off doesn't it rather than having to get things right that we can people know we're trying our best yeah yeah, completely, completely. And, and that, 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 it's so true. It, it's, it can be, as you absolutely described there, it's this idea that these targets can be really quite loosely, almost intangible targets. So I want the feeling in this team of us being more connected. Or I want the feeling is that we are looking more towards clients than we are fixing our own problems at the moment. Or and those are much less tangible but actually nonetheless they can be absolutely critical to have and th those are th those are apps those can be really the best the best targets and, and when you start with that because i think sometimes people will 
worry about how to, I don't know how to go about employee experience. I don't know how to go about culture. I don't know how to do all this feeling stuff. So I just don't do it at all because um, I don't know where to start. Whereas when we start just by asking some simple questions, you know, sitting around a table with your team saying what would help us feel happier, what would help us feel more connected um, and start you know, engaging with the feelings, but asking the questions. It's not about having the answers. Your team will know. So mm. asking them the questions and they're saying, right, well, our intention is to make this focus, whatever we're talking about, happiness, kindness, connectedness, whatever it is, to make that a bit better. So if we're at a four on a scale, how do we get to number five? And as soon as you start to break it down and you're asking them for the ideas and you're exploring it as a team, again, it's about empowering people and you're having that genuine conversation. That makes all the difference, doesn't it? And I think that takes the pressure off managers, leaders, having to have all the answers and create this perfect program of, you know, we're now going to embark on this set journey, which is, you know, we're going to end up with a perfect perfect team. There, There is no perfect plan. It's, it's kind of evolves mm. as it goes along. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. I've, I've worked and I've managed many, many teams over many years where I've had a huge range of experience within the team, number of years of experience, interest, capability, skill sets. And it's something I realized too, too late on over, over that period, at least, um, that actually it, it's, it's, it's the leaders, it's the manager's job to lead that team not to do the work that that team is doing the experts in that team will be doing that for you and you've just got to keep that machine running and you need to keep on talking to these people and they need to know where they're going you're leading them along but they need to crack on with what they're doing and you need the feedback from them you are useless as a as a manager if you're just going to say that you know it all and you don't need to hear their opinions and let's go, follow me. You need this, you need this feedback. You need it so much. So how do we know if we're getting it right? How do we know, how do you know, Mike, that everything that you've invested into setting up your team is making a difference? It doesn't mean it's perfect, um, but it's, it, you're going in the right direction. It is having a positive impact. Again, to me, it, there are multiple things that I'm looking at. I, I suppose in my communications with people one-on-one, -on -one, I'm listening to their general, the tone in their voice, how much they're involved contributing to conversations, meetings. If it wasn't for COVID and remote, everything via Zoom and Teams and so on, I'd be looking at all their body language as well. And... That's something I really find a challenge because I love meeting people. I read so much about their body language and that's a real challenge right now for me. Mm. So a lot of what, of what, how people are responding to males, if they're responding to males and messages, um, how much I hear from others in my team about the performance of one, of one or more of their peers, um, where the ideas are coming from in the team. And it, what's tricky is that when you, when I four months ago created this and managed this newly merged team, there were many people there I didn't know at all in terms of their character, their personality. So on day one, I couldn't tell you whether they were motivated really or not, because I didn't know their baseline. So 
over time you, you, you get to, to, to know that and everybody's different so to me how do i know that it's going well it, it's it's those things how, how are they communicating how are they sounding how much are they involved in taking part um and the longer term you can look of course at things like you know the staff turnover um of course those types of indicators um, there are plenty of indicators if, if you start looking but if you've got your head behind the computer desk a computer screen and you, you're not interested maybe because you're not interested or because you're just a bit daunted by having those conversations with the individuals and what they might say mm. you're not going to know how motivated people are how happy they are are they looking for other jobs what and what, what where the problems are you're just not going to know it and, and i think stuff as a result i think what's also um really interesting is when you ask people the question about when you're at your best what will you be feeling and how what we what what would we be seeing so what mm. are the behaviors because when people start to think about well i'll be smiling more or i'll be um connecting more i'll be you know, I want to be having more chats. As soon as you start to notice, or as soon as people are very clear about what it is that they will be doing, then, and everyone else in the team is aware of that, then as soon as that person stops connecting or starts smiling less, it's that early warning sign that actually maybe that person's not okay. So maybe we need to start checking in. But as you say, if we don't know people well enough to know what their baseline is, we don't know if they're having a good day or not a good day. We don't know if they're feeling motivated or not. So asking individuals you know what you like at your best and what you like at your worst and you know and starting to get them to think about that and then when we're all aware of that as a team we can look at look out for the the warning signs for each other which i think takes again the pressure off the off the manager mm. how do you i guess my last question in all this is how do you look after yourself in this process because when you've got someone who's as conscientious and determined to look after their team as, as you are it's very easy to spend too much time trying to make things as perfect as they can be. And, you know, when you've got an idea of, of what it is you want to achieve, you want to try and do everything you can to achieve that as quickly as possible so that people are having the right experience. But you have to be mindful of the fact that that is part of your role, but I'm guessing you have other parts to your role that aren't just about that. So how do you balance that? How do you make sure that you are looking after you in all this and don't put yourself under too much pressure so that your experience is going out the window for the sake of everyone else's? Mm. Yeah. I, I would say that I have to constantly remind myself to be realistic in what I can achieve. And... It, it is something I, I struggle with. I've got, it's that almost that idea of one part of you is trying to run away and start sprinting. And the other part is saying, come on, slow down. You know, you can't keep going at this pace. And of course, you've just got to keep a check on that. You've got to be realistic as to what the big priorities are, what is achievable in what sort of a time scale with the resources that you've got, time resources, uh, other people as support resources for delegating tasks and so on. You 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 have to be realistic. If if you've got a pair of flip flops, you better not be going up into the snow and up a big mountain. 
you've got to keep it realistic. Otherwise, yeah, for sure, you'll you'll just burn out, you'll overstretch yourself and so on. And yes, there are the basics and very, very tangible things of, well, how many hours are you working each day? How many hours are you working each week? What's the long-term trend of this? Is this week a one-off? Is this month a one-off? Um, those are basic warning signs. If you're doing 50-hour weeks, well, you better realize that you're really straining yourself and you've got to really question, is this right? And if you're doing those sorts of hours and you look at it and you think, yeah, you know, this does sound right, well, go and sanity check it with somebody who's unrelated to your work, uh, yet knows you and knows you outside of work as well. And preferably somebody who's known you for quite a while, because they, given an open question, and might be quite happy to give you a bit of feedback of actually, you're not the same person as you were five years ago, and I wish you were, um, and get a conversation like that going. So you, you've got to, as you said, you've got to look after yourself, that the leader of a pack is useless if they've, if they've blown themselves up. So it's something for me it's something that i have to continuously listen out for sort of warning signs of is this getting a bit much am i actually becoming a bit unproductive in all of this racing around because there is so much noise and shouting in my head going on from all these different angles and these different tasks that i'm starting to drop the ball um it's you you You've got to keep it realistic. You're not Superman or Superwoman. You are human and there are limits and you've got to remember that. So to me, that's that's key. That's key. That's a really good point, I think, to, to almost end on. It's that sense, I think, of doing what's right for you rather than just always what's right for the company. And that, that's a bit of a U-turn from how things used to be considered. You've just got to always do what's right for the company, regardless of what. And I know some people would disagree with the whole idea of actually doing what's right for you. Um, you know, of course, it's got to fit in with the, this. It's got to meet the basic requirements of the company and you've got to be fulfilling your role. But you have to do it in a way that you are prioritising your needs. And if you get yourself right then you're much more likely to, to get everything for the company right. Um, but we tend, we have, to, we have to shift, or a lot of people have to shift that focus from give, 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 to actually press the pause button, think about myself. If I'm in a good place, then I'm going to be far better for my, for my colleagues and my company. Yes, definitely, definitely. And look to the future as well and think of yourself and think, where do I want to be in five years' time? classic question is usually you think oh I want to have these sets of responsibilities or I want to be at this position with this job title or aiming to join this company but you can ask yourself that question with a different perspective you can be from the perspective of do I want to be as stressed as I am now do I want to work and come home late like I do now where do I want to be in that perspective because we're very good at setting goals for ourselves at work. But do you set goals for yourself against yourself and your personal development, which maybe is nothing to do with your job? Um, that's something that many of us don't do. And I think we would be happier if we did do those, set some goals and made progress to either meet them or get a good 
way down the road towards meeting them because we will set goals that will make ourselves happier and we'll be prouder of ourselves. So to me, you need to have personal goals and aspirations that keep them realistic so that you do actually hit some and get boosted by it. Thank you, Mike. You have shared so much today and I love your your story, just how you've thought about this, how you're uh, experimenting in a way, you know, you're, you're pulling together all these different threads that you've been finding out about over the years and, and putting them into practice. And I know that, you know, you're, you're, you're not quite there yet in terms of, I know there's so much more you want to work on, but the difference you'll have already made will be huge. And the fact that you're so committed to keep to keep getting it right and keep making it better is a continual process and it's not something that you get to a position saying right I've ticked that one off I've done it gonna move on to the next challenge um, and I think you're very aware of that so thank you so much for sharing your insight if people wanted to connect with you what's the best way of doing that um, uh, via, via LinkedIn um, if there's if there's questions or comments people wanted to make to me otherwise uh, on the email um, to my hotmail so my full name Michael Quinnell all one word at hotmail.com uh, so I, either of those, and I'd be pleased to, to contact and communicate with people. Fantastic. Thank you. And we'll put the contact details in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Mike. Very much appreciated. Um, and yeah, keep in touch with uh, the rest of your journey and, and how you get on. Thank you, Lisa. Thank, Thank you. you. This, this podcast has been really, really beneficial for me. I've been making notes as well as we talk. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today on Beyond the Water Cooler. If you love it, I would really appreciate a five-star review as this helps more people to find the podcast. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe so you get notifications every time we publish a new episode. If something in this episode has got you chomping at the bit or if you'd like to discuss the topics covered in this podcast further, please do get in touch and we can continue the conversation. You can find me at lisa at itstimeforchange.co.uk. My details are in the show notes. If you'd like to be kept in the loop on what I'm getting up to, I publish a monthly roundup. To sign up, head over to itstimeforchange.co.uk forward slash join the club. I'm always looking for new, interesting people to chat with on the Beyond the Water Cooler podcast. So if you have a story to tell or know of anyone who would be an inspiration to talk to, please do get in touch. And lastly, I'd love to know what you would like to hear about on the podcast. So drop me a line for all suggestions. And that way I can make sure that what I'm talking about is most helpful. See you next time.